0: and CEO of Full Voice, Nikki Loney, is keeping us company this week. With a teaching career spanning over three decades, Nikki works with music education specialists, children's composers and musicians to create music education resources for young vocal students. She hosts her own podcast called Full Voice and is a member of NATS and the Speakeasy Cooperative. Nikki joins me to discuss the success of play based learning and how we can make singing lessons fun.
1: <laughs> uh, uh.
0: Nikki Loney, you are a woman after my own heart because in your bio you mention that one of your passions is coffee by the fire.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. We uh, I'm in Nova Scotia, Canada. And uh, one of the beautiful things about living here is that everybody heats their home. Mostly, I would say 99% of people in Nova Scotia heat their home with either a wood stove, or a fireplace so we have a beautiful little wood stove in our living room and there's nothing more lovely than getting up in the morning it's a little chilly grabbing your coffee putting on a fire and just enjoying the quiet
0: yeah that sounds heavenly i'm very jealous because i don't have a fireplace at all but i put on youtube and type in virtual fireplace so i feel like i'm i feel like i've got one <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, with the virtual fireplace, you don't have the chore of, of doing wood. And that is a, that is a thing that, that my son, who's 13, despises. So there is the added r- responsibility of chopping the wood and kindling and storing the wood. And it's a, it's a seasonal thing here in, in Nova Scotia. You see the big piles of pieces of wood on people's lawns at the beginning of the season. <laughs>
0: Well, Nikki, welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. It's great to be chatting with you. In an interview you did with UltimateMusicTheory.com, you shared your own introduction to singing, which was through your dad, right?
1: Mm, yes, yes. I, um, my dad uh, was a singer uh, in the 60s. He was in an R&B band and singing is what he loved. And when I was little, he played the guitar and uh, taught me some songs. And every time people came over to the house, he'd he'd pull me out and I reluctantly would sing my songs. But then I ended up liking the singing of songs and performing, and yeah, he was uh, was my biggest fan. My biggest fan. I just found a friend of the family just sent me pictures uh from one of our first performances and i think i was nine i was nine years old and and there's my dad playing the guitar and me singing and uh, i was so pleased because even at nine i was holding the microphone correctly so (laughs) you had an (laughs) intuition for it (laughs) must have must have
0: do you remember your first ever singing lesson for yourself
1: oh yes i do i um well in addition to my dad, who taught me a lot, bef- I, like a lot of young singers, uh, no one would take me for lessons until I was 13. But my dad convinced a local teacher, even though that I was 12, um, he convinced her that I was ready, and that I would be the best student ever. And uh, I had a wonderful first teacher. Her name was Donna Travanovich, and she was studying opera at university, and she was a, just a lovely woman, and she was very kind and patient, and um, I actually got to see her sing in uh, the production of um, Hansel and Gretel, and that was my first introduction to like an, an operatic performance. And it, it was like, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was watching. I, I stood there or I sat there and I was in awe. There's my teacher making these big sounds. And it was amazing. No, I had a lovely, I had a lovely first experience. I'm really fortunate that, uh, that Donna was so, so lovely and supportive and uh, she was great. Mm. Did any of that first
0: experience inform the way you then later put together things like your full voice workbooks and we will really delve into those a bit later on but I'm just interested in understanding how your experience as a 12 year old singing may have then influenced the way you then taught and what you included in your resources?
1: Wow that's a great question um in addition to Donna, who was phenomenal, I, I have been very blessed with a lot of different teachers and influences throughout my career. And I've had several different music teachers, voice teachers, that all approached things differently, they all had a different focus. Um, and then when I went to college, my background is in jazz and commercial music. I um, when I went to college, I had fabulous teachers and my experiences were really rich. And I I sang choral uh, for a while. And then of course, a lot of my background is session work. And what happened was when I started doing when I graduated from college, of course, like every performer, you're ready to face meet the world and sing all the songs. And of course, your income fluctuates. And so a friend of mine was like, well, you should just take a, have a couple of nights of teaching. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Teaching should be so easy. Ha, 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 ha. And my first three years, I would say, of teaching privately were so awful. It was truly uh it was really disheartening and what I learned is, even though I had all these amazing teachers and this amazing experience. Um, breaking that all down and bringing it to a student is much harder than we think pedagogy is very difficult and although I had a lot of great experiences to draw from, I didn't have any experiences, especially for my younger students. I just didn't know how to help them, how to, how to make them feel comfortable, how to keep them engaged. Engagement was like impossible. And so in my early years of teaching, um, I worked in a, a music store. And of course, I was like, well, there must be there must be something for the singing students. There's tons of stuff for the piano students. So there's gotta be something. And of course that was, oh, that was like 30 years ago. Um, and even back then there wasn't a lot of the compilation songbooks that we now enjoy. So there was really a lack of resources. So while my, my own educational experiences from 13 and up were fabulous, um, I and I had and I had sung with my dad from the time I was like six and up. So I, I'd had a lot of experiences, but there was really no resources for young singers. And I thought, wow, that's so strange. And I just started to do some research and collect information and put it all together. And and I reached out to a lot of local academics. And what happened was a lot of them were like, "Well, we don't, you know, you don't really work with children. And they, they actually couldn't, they didn't help. And, and some of the conversations were so discouraging that I, I shelved all my research for about another couple of years thinking, well, I guess there's a reason why there's no materials for children. But I, but I continued to work with them, and then I was like, "This is silly." I know what I would like to do with the kids in the in the lesson, and I know that uh, you know having some sort of hands on materials would probably help with engagement. So after a couple of years of shelving it, came back to it. Um, I met my my colleague Mim, who has been with me since almost day one and and that's how it started it was like there is nothing for these students let's start putting together these one-page activity sheets and one of the things and one of the reasons why i struggled in the first three years was because it wasn't that engaging for young students i had really high turnover so you know you'd get started with a student they'd be with you for a couple of months and then they'd quit and it was so discouraging and that was the first thing that we noticed with our our we we didn't call it full voice back then but with our singer activity pages is that we had students stick out stick around longer we had students that stayed with us and i think it, I, I think one year i remember going oh the end of the year after the little recital i'm like oh nobody nobody's quitting that's amazing <laughs> so it was really the engagement and and just testing the the sheets. Um, Going back to your original question, my initial experiences in my singing and my working with my teachers were so positive and beautiful. Um, But I I had nothing for my little ones to make their experiences positive and beautiful. And that was where the inspiration came from.
0: When we are looking at our marketing strategy, we're kind of encouraged to use our ideal client as an avatar so that we can really target those people through our social media and through whatever we put out as advertising what was it about the youngest students which inspired you the most i know you've said that you know you wanted to make sure that their experience was as be- beautiful and, and positive as yours were but why that particular age group what's so
1: great about them oh that's another great question well i think Um, one of my, one of my teachers in college, uh, David Stillwell, and David was a a jazz trumpet player, but he was also an incredible arranger, but he taught us, um, he taught us ear training and theory, and he also taught us vocal improvisation. And I really connected with Dave at school. And this is one of those key memories that are bur- that's burned in my in my brain because I remember the day he told us this. So we were doing it was an ear training improvisation class, and we were talking about I forget you know hearing different sounds and listening and analyzing it. And Dave understood how different it is for the singers compared to the instrumentalists. So when you teach improvisation to a piano player, they have to know theory and where their hands go on the piano. If you're teaching improvisation to a singer, they have to hear everything, and they have to they have to have really good ears. And he told us he told us about um, uh, him and his wife Debbie had a, had I think four or five kids. And he just told us, because we were all getting frustrated. So here's, you know, a classroom of 20 year olds getting all frustrated with the ear training challenges. And he said, we do this stuff with our children and they're only seven years old. And we were all offended. And I was and I was like, no, no, no. How do you do this with your kids? And he's like, well, we play games. And I'm like, well, what kind of games? He's And, he's, and he showed us the game, which was if you hear a major triad, you stand up. And if you hear a minor triad, you sit down. And if you hear a diminished triad, well, those are kind of scary. You put your hands over your eyes, right? And so there's a bunch of very serious 20-year-olds playing this singing game or this ear training game, and we all got it. And everybody was looking like, oh, is it really that simple? Is it really Is it really just playing little games and having fun? So I, always remembered that conversation and i remembered that game and when i was getting new students and breaking the ice and making them feel comfortable i would always throw that game at them and i would see very shy little students i see them light up or that little student that was really tired and maybe a bit hungry because you know it's after school and that you know those little games would just turn things around and there's just something really beautiful when you, when you make a connection, especially with a child and another really, I I think it's beautiful. I, I, I can appreciate where this is challenging for other teachers, but when you work with children, it's never, ever, ever about you. And you always have to meet them where they are that, where they are. So you get to like, take your ego and shove it out the door and slam the door and and just be with someone and there's there's so much there's beautiful moments in that there's just absolutely beautiful moments and whenever i do teacher training and workshops and and i talk about play based learning and i talk about engagement and 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 i explain you know engagement is not compliance it's not getting them to do what you want them to do it's finding out how your information can best be be shared with that individual and when you make those connections it's magic it's beautiful you you hear the confidence in their voice you see the smile on their face you see the fight or flight switch that maybe has been on for them all day kind of they they start to relax and it's there's just some beautiful work in it and i get emails from teachers all the time after they do like the engagement workshop or or if i do a teacher training workshop where i'm talking about play based learning i get these emails and they're so beautiful she's like i had this little student come in and she was so nervous and i we sang the Pizza Hut song, and we played the vocal roller coasters, and she was so happy, and she gave me a hug before she left. She's, and I get it now. So when you when you understand when you understand that they're really truly at the beginning of their journey, and your job isn't necessarily to teach them anything, it's to guide them and to let them explore and to give them the thumbs up and to, to keep them, you know, validate them for everything that they're trying and doing. It's, it's a beautiful place to be. It really is. I, 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 in my early days of teaching, I would have, I had a really ridiculously long teaching day, but I never felt defeated or exhausted, or I always had like a smile that I could think about. And I I never felt like I was overdoing it. Like I just, there's just that, it's just, it's really powerful when you make that connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you've mentioned how your, your career spanned 31 years of teaching. And within that time you've worked with music education specialists, children's composers, musicians to create such resources and these games that you were referencing there. Collating all of that knowledge and experience as you have done, what would you say are kind of the important principles to consider in this play-based learning when you're working with a young singer?
1: That is such a great question. I, well, I'm going to share, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow from um, Ginevra Williams. Um, Ginevra is uh, just a beautiful uh, pedagogue, and her work spans decades. Her research is amazing. Um, she, she shared this at her workshop, and I thought that's just beautiful. One of the things that she says is um, to make easy easier. And I think that is probably the best piece of advice. We have a tendency to overcomplicate things. I mean, and it's understandable. I don't know, I don't have a colleague who doesn't invest in enormous amounts of professional development. We are always learning. And the hours that we've put into our careers, whether it's on stage, whether it's learning, our degrees, our certifications like we spend so much time learning very detailed information and of course we want to share it with everybody we want to talk about formants and we want to we want to tell people that we know all about the respiratory system and how it works and that that's just not where they're at so the analogy i always give teachers is you're a math teacher and you want to teach calculus and, and algebra and you're working with students who are just learning how to hold on to their pencil so how do we how do we meet them where they're at how do we make holding that pencil as fun and creative and free as possible so the biggest thing with with and that this doesn't just apply to children either. Like you could be working with a beginner adult, you know, and, and I, I, I think of all the advocational adults that have come to my studio. I mean, some of them, it took them years just to build the confidence to step foot in our studios. And then we want to tell them about vocal acoustics and and <laughs> which again i find that n- n- no disrespect to any of my fellow colleagues that that love that and no disrespect but that's not where they're at that's not that's not going to serve them and it's hard sometimes to to just give that little bit of information that they need and i think i think this all comes back to the curse of knowledge or uh, some people call it the curse of the expert we forget how what it feels like not to know. We forget because we've done this for so long. Um, I remember, I remember going back. Uh, this was like well, maybe maybe a decade or so ago, and going back and doing some of my piano exams just 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 for a challenge. And I remember going into the examination room and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I've performed before, it's fine. And when I went to put my hands on the piano, like they were shaking uncontrollably. And I was like, what? What? And I look over at the examiner and he's, you know, nodding at me to go. And I put my hands down and I was like, wow, what is happening? And I I and I could hear the blood rushing around my ears. And I was I, I, my mouth was dry, and half of my brain is like, "This is like so strange," and I've performed for so many people. Why would this be such a hard time? And then the other part of my brain is like, "You need to get out of here. You better. You are in danger. You should run away." And that that moment made me realize that's what my students go through. This is what they go through when they're performing. Of course, they go through this. This is like stage. Perform this is fight or flight, like, and sometimes we just forget. We forget where they're at, what they need, and that that I mean, we're we're moving really more to that student led, teacher partnership rather than that master apprentice approach. And and a lot of teachers are talking about that now. And I and I I appreciate that that's challenging if you've been teaching for a long time, and it certainly was challenging for me when I addressed some of the the rules that I used to have in my studio. Like I used to make examinations mandatory once you got to a certain level. And I used to insist on this and insist on that. And now I'm just like, yeah, those things aren't really necessary if the student's not interested. So maybe I need to take a step back. So so going back to your question, stealing from Dr. Williams, make easy easier and check in with that curse of knowledge because if you are overwhelming that student, oh goodness, what a shame, what a shame. So that that would be my advice.
0: Uh, uh. Announcement! Listeners, if you've been thinking about joining the BAST community by taking one of our courses, but you just don't know which is the best option for you, then why not book a free call with our very own Kimberly George, who has all the answers head over to basttraining.com forward slash call forward slash and click that big blue button to request your free Zoom chat. That's basttraining.com forward slash bookacall forward slash and you can find that link in our show notes too. Now, where were we? Uh, uh. I sometimes get stumped by the word fun, not because I'm a grumpy cow or because I'm not fun (laughs) to be around because to be honest, Nikki, I can be a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always associated the word fun with something like going for dinner with friends or doing an escape room. And I I've been like, how do I get that into a lesson with stuff like tongue twisters or an exercise? And I'm like, what is fun to people? And then (laughs) I, I get confused. So can you help me out with how do we make a singing lesson fun?
1: Oh, I love that. Okay. So first of all, uh we off off recording need to talk about the escape rooms because oh, yeah. i would like i would like to know more about your escape rooms because that <laughs> there's a few of them here and so we should talk okay um uh that well that's that's a really great question because the concept of fun is challenging especially for any of us that studied at a high level right? Um, when I was studying, there were a lot of consequences or a lot of auditioning or a lot of opportunities that were not available to me for whatever reason. I mean, you know, maybe I was the wrong voice type or I just didn't get the, 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 the jingle or the audition. I didn't nail the audition. So in our industry, there's so much pressure. And if you're studying at a high level, it's hard to think of singing as being fun. And I appreciate that that sense of formalness as well in a in a lesson. For a lot of teachers, we really want people to know that we are accomplishing A B C D and E in the lesson and you are investing wisely with your money and I'm not wasting your time with any silliness. So the concept of fun in our industry is really challenging. And fun and engagement and play-based learning all link together in very um, intrinsic ways. So, and again, this is something that Dr. Ginevra Williams has talked about is the, the way that we learn and the way that the brain works and the way that the brain lights up has a lot to do with fun and i think there's research and i can't quote who it is um but they've done research where when you're motor learning when you're learning a new skill you need so many repetitions to become competent at that skill but you need fewer repetitions if the activity is fun So there is a deeper sense of learning. Those neural pathways are created if it is an enjoyable experience. And Dr. Williams has talked about happy hormones. The brain is flooded with those hormones for for effective learning. And of course, on the other side of that, if you have somebody who is tired, who is stressed, who is scared, The brain goes into a protective mode and you're not learning and you can't it's not it's not a a case of um it's not a case of that the information that you give them isn't valid or helpful it's just they're not they can't take it in so and this this falls under um executive functioning skills so the ability to organize your time and to come and to complete tasks if the task is a what what you might call a non-desirable task it's really difficult to get someone to practice right and that's that's a lot of that's a whole other conversation about practicing and executive functioning skills it's like if you are asking especially a child to go home and do something that they don't enjoy they don't understand they found a little confusing it made them feel a little awkward um there's there's no way like it's just not gonna happen and then we're setting that habit of of that that the fight for practicing practicing is this thing that i have to do because it's not fun where where singing should be joyful so going back to your question i know i i went on a little tangent there my apologies but but um, a lesson that is engaging and has activities where the, where the student is actively participating, that is, that is fun. So even the simple activity, I, I always, um, I have this little jar in my studio and it has all the tongue twisters in it. So um, just the act of reaching into the jar and pulling out a piece of paper that simple, active participation lights them up. And I get so many emails from this too, because I talk about, I, my students called it the jar of doom. So we just went with it and I've told teachers about it. And, and in our teacher training, I actually have videos of the kids and they are elated to be pulling something out. So now they're engaged. They're actively participating. They're curious. They are excited that that does so many things. One, of course, learning and, and the brain is engaged. They're excited, their energy is up. And then they're gonna wanna tell their parents about that. They're gonna be like, oh, we did this cool thing, mom. I had to reach into a jar and I had to pull this out. So we, and we often think that um, like play-based learning and fun is just for the kiddos. But the, the really interesting part of it is that there's no cutoff age. There's no cutoff age for how our brains light up when we are engaged, when we are having fun, and even just anything visual, anything um, you know, or or if you're if you're doing an exercise and you have a ball or a, or a, a pinwheel and you're blowing a pinwheel, anything that's hands-on that the student can get involved in, um, or taking an exercise and just changing it to instead of like solfege or numbers or vowels, you change it to what's your favorite food? Oh, I love pizza. All right. We're going to sing this exercise and you're going to sing it to like the ingredients that you like on a pizza. Well, it's just cheese. Okay. Cheese pizza. Here we go. And as silly as that seems, that that's engagement. That is, that is presenting information and modifying it so that the student can connect with it and and that that applies and i always tell my my teachers when we do the with workshops together i said i do all the same things with my adults because adults have hard days adults come adults come into their lessons and they're tired adults get overwhelmed they get stressed out so a lot of the games that I play, and I might modify them slightly, but a lot of the games that I play, I I do them with my adults and, and even my teenagers. Like my teenagers might resist it for you know, a few minutes. They're too cool, right? But as soon as they're as soon as they drop their guard, as soon as they start to laugh, as soon as they, and they've been with me for a long time, so they know that the the lesson is a safe space you hear a different sound when they sing, you see them breathe differently, you see the shoulders start to soften, you see the resistance to what you're doing start to fade away, and it just changes everything. And um, the other person that I love who talks about this, and she's just a delight, is Ann Baltz. And Ann um, is the founder of the, opera works program and she, her concept was the same it was like why are we taking ourselves so seriously and uh, i mean her her work is profound i mean there's enough pressure on us in life do we need to make it worse for everyone <laughs> yes yeah here, here. what if you've been working with a
0: student for a, a fair while for a few months or even years how often are you having to change or modify those games? And like, how on your toes are you? Because I sometimes worry that I've done that game. How do I make that fun <laughs> still? Because you know what I'm doing with it. So yeah, how, how much do you have to kind of think ahead on those things?
1: I think uh, that's, that's uh, so, it's important to, to think about that. Um, the one thing with kids is they love repetition so with the little ones i once we've once we have a repertoire of activities and singing activities their warm-up in their lesson is really again it's student-led and i'll say what do you want to work on today what are you feeling like do you want to do the tongue twisters do you want to do the roller coasters do you want to do you want to do the jar of doom and and they will tell you what what you what they want to do. And it's the same thing with repertoire too. Um, children's songs. I mean, they once they love a song, and they sing it, well, we might even use that for a warm up instead of instead of a vocal exercise. So you know, I'll say, Is there a song you'd love to sing and we'll use it as our warm up. So I let the students often guide the lesson. Now I still I still direct them where I need them to go. And I still try to lead them to productive things. Maybe I had a lesson plan in mind. So I do guide them, but they get a lot of choice. And I think that's very helpful, Um, especially if they've had a really bad day. What I do with exercises and games is um, my students, (laughs) my students name everything and then I just steal it. They'll be like, uh, we call it leveling up. So I'm like, you've done this game for a while. How should we level up? How could we make this even more crazy? Or how could we make this even more challenging? Kids are incredibly creative and they actually come up with a lot of ideas. And I, again, I, student-led also means Nikki steals their ideas and then markets them. <laughs> but I mean, like, like one of my students said, well, what if I tap the beat while I sing that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually a really good, yes, that's a good exercise. Or, well, what if I, you know, and it could be silly, what if I try to sing this while I'm standing one foot? I'm like, "Mm, I couldn't do that, let's try that. So you're, you you if you give them the challenge, how do you wanna level this up? How do you wanna change this? Um, They're actually really creative and uh, and again, uh, uh, some of the little games the the we call them on our on our website. We have a game. It's called Songbird Warm Up Game, and it's a, a choose your own adventure. And it's all these strips of exercises that you cut up, put them in. And a lot of those little exercises or modifications of the exercises came from the kids. Mm. So again, my kids inspire me. I steal all their ideas. Um, and we market them and test them with other children. So <laughs> so if, if,
0: if you're a student, kids, if you're a student of Nikki Loney's, I'd get on the blower to her and ask for commission. <laughs> exactly. Don't
1: <laughs> tell them that. Don't tell them that. Um, I do celebrate them though. I do, uh, I, do uh, I do, I let parents know that, um, we do create the resources for the kids and that, you know, they have to actually sign a waiver so <laughs> we, can, we can use their material.
0: <laughs> what does that say then for lesson planning? When I first started teaching, I was hours and hours at this stuff and it brought me dread, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then I would have the plan and I wouldn't look at it, really. <laughs> yeah in the lesson i don't know if it was just a crutch or like a backup if something went wrong but does it is there something to having an idea of what you need but just being able to respond in the moment or is it is it important to have a lesson plan
1: oh my goodness uh, but we were actually just discussing this the full voice team um and we were actually your question is exactly what our conversation was so i'm so ready for this question Lesson planning. Now, one of the things that I love, everybody on the full voice team has been or is in the trenches, either as a classroom teacher, or as a private music teacher. And even my husband who does all the production, he taught guitar and stringed instruments for 36 years. So Everybody in our team understands the challenge of presenting information for students. My assistant, Heidi, who I want to shout out to Heidi because I would literally die without her assistance and her help. So Heidi, thank you. I love you. Um, She had, she just retired a few years ago, but she had over 30 years in elementary classrooms. And one of the things she said at the meeting the other day, she's like, because we are working on lesson plans for small group classes, but we want to communicate in our materials to teachers that a plan is just a guide and it's not a step-by-step. And teaching is having a plan, but knowing when the plan is either not appropriate or you need to modify, Or you need to throw the plan in the garbage and improvise until you figure things out. And I think, yes, having an idea of what you want to cover and having a general outline, I think, is so important. But knowing that you won't know what's going to go down until you're in that space, especially when it comes to, well, I would, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say, especially when it comes to children, but I mean, working with teenagers and even adults, you know, sometimes they come in and you had this plan, you were going to do all these things and they're really tired and they just want to sing a song. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but with children, uh, I had, I remember my first small group class when I started doing small group classes, and my first class was like seven to seven and eight year olds. And I had all these plans. I had the best plan. I would we were gonna do this. I, I mapped out 12 weeks of excellent plans, all the songs we were gonna learn, all the activities we we're gonna do. I get to my first class and I'm so excited, and I'm so ready. And I had I had five little girls. Four of them were absolutely terrified to sing. And I had one little girl who was an extra extrovert, and she was going to sing for everybody. And my entire 12 week plan was garbage. There was no way I was going to get these four little singers to sing the little musical theater numbers that I had planned out. And I had to think on my feet and thank goodness for all the games I could modify from my private lessons into the group. And it took me about four weeks before I actually understood where everybody was coming from. I had a little girl in that class that wouldn't sing more than a fifth of like from C to to G. That was all she would do. That's all she would vocalize. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I, I think I think for our sanity, we need to have a general idea and an outline of what we're doing, but then we have to work with the student to determine how long it's going to, like how how many repetitions they need, what kind of resources they need, um, how much in, in lesson time are we going to have. The other thing I think for private teachers that are listening to this is we also have to get to know that, know that student and a bit about their families to understand what kind of support they have at home for learning. Because practicing can't be—you can't blanket it. It can't. It's not going to be the same for one family as it is for another. And I think a lot of teachers get frustrated because they have, you know, oh, you have to practice this much, you know, and it's like, well, are they even capable of that? right? If you have a student that's really shy and isn't comfortable singing in front of mom and dad, you have some work to do before you're even going to ask them to practice. And, and you're going to tell mom and dad, hey, I'm not, we're not going to worry about that until they feel comfortable singing in front of you. So all our plans have to kind of happen after we get to know, and we have to be willing to modify them and, and appreciate that, no, this was not a good plan. <laughs>
0: And can I just ask what your opinion is on the parents' involvement? Like, mm. is do you like the parents to sit in? Do you dislike that immensely, or
1: okay? Thank you so much for asking that because I have an unpopular opinion, but I want to hear teachers who are listening to this amazing podcast, please, 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 hear me out. Whenever, whenever in our forum, voice um, teachers for young singers, whenever somebody complains about parents. It's like the most popular post. And we all love to, we all have those parents that have done us wrong or treated us poorly or didn't pay. Like I know that we all have those experiences. And I know the general consensus, if I scan through my forums, so many people say parents cannot be in the room. And I understand why they say that, but hear me out, please. (laughs) <laughs> first and foremost, if children aren't comfortable singing for in front of their families, they're not going to practice at home. The end. You can bribe them with stickers. You can put nasty threats in your policies saying they'll be removed from the studio if they don't practice. But that's one of the first obstacles that we have to overcome is just normalizing singing in front of people. And that includes moms and dads. And parents, especially parents who are new to a a music experience, like private lessons, they're gonna have questions. They're gonna have questions. They're gonna have concerns. Um, Children go through roller coasters of emotions and things, and parents are often managing a lot with school and activities, and it is in our best interest to have a really strong relationship with parents and a face-to-face relationship with parents i believe that that is one of the reasons why teachers that have good relationships with parents will have low dropout rates they will see better retention when the pandemic happened and we all remember when that happened and all of my students went online and everybody was scared i didn't lose anybody because I called parents and I said this is really scary your kids are going through a lot I'm going to be there for them online and I am here to support you and your family through this let me know how I can help you and that made a world of difference and the reason that I did that for my students was because my son's elementary school teacher did the same thing for me and I thought oh my gosh I am so glad she called. I'm so glad she shared that with me. It is scary. I don't know what's happening. Nobody knows what's happening. And you are I know that I can reach out to you. Amazing. So with parents in the room, that's the first thing. So we have to normalize singing in front of parents or practicing is just not going to happen. Parents are going to have questions and they're going to have, and yes, they're going to have really, seemingly unreasonable questions. But again, they're not the expert. So how can we expect them to know the things that we know? Um, And I believe that having the parents in the teaching space saves us hours of unpaid administrative time. Because I don't have to answer a ton of emails because I've talked to the parents, because I've, I've answered their questions. And that's should be part of our paid time with the student, not hours on a weekend answering and typing out war and peace novels to try and explain ourselves. I also feel um, strongly about nonverbal forms of communication. Nonverbal, Nonverbal forms of communication are the lousiest forms of communication and it is impossible not to read a negative tone Yeah, and we always take it personally and we always go to dark places. And if you have a parent with a question and it goes back and forth with a bunch of texts and emails, it has already escalated and it's just not a good place. So, I mean, I would have parents email me questions and I'm like, I kind of have a unwritten rule. I'm like, hmm, is this a phone call answer or is this a is this an email? Can I do it properly in an email? And the truth of the matter is that we don't we don't spend enough time properly crafting our language in emails. We're very, very quick. Mm. Um, I once sent an email to my entire studio. I'm, I'm sharing this on your podcast, Alexa. I hope this is okay. <laughs> I once sent an email to my entire studio telling everybody when the spring rectal was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was mortified. So we don't spend enough time properly crafting or s- spell checking our emails. So again, that face-to-face relationship is really beautiful. The other thing that I have found is when we have that face-to-face conversation, parents can give us insight to what's going on. So so if you have a kid that's going through a lot um, or as having a bad day. And even with some of my teenagers, like I've had parents call me up and go, I'm just giving you a heads up. We're having some issues at school. She's really down just so you know. And I am so thankful for that because I can see this child coming in, this teenager coming in and I can say, Hey, what do you want to do today? Let's sing something that makes you feel good. And I can I can help support them rather than, oh, I've got my lesson plan and we've got to sing our harmonic minor scales today. And uh, yeah, let's work on that uh, head voice a bit more. Like it's a little more, we, we have a better relationship. So in my teaching studio, when I was teaching um, in person, I actually had a seating area for parents. And if they wanted to come in and watch, I also had a waiting room outside of my studio. So yeah. I would I, I think there's a balance like come in, watch, ask your questions, and then maybe you just drop them off after a while. But if I don't see parents for a while, I do invite them back in. Mm. This is a for um, for anybody out there that's not uh, a parent yet or uh, that's not your choice. But it, I taught for 22 years before I had my own child. So I thought I kind of knew what, you know, parents were going through. And I threw a lot of shade on families. (laughs) And when my son was old enough to put into activities, my stress level went through the roof. And I was like, this is awful. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. I, I dropped him off at the dance thing. We're not allowed to see what's going on. I don't know if he's having a good time or if he's participating. And it was really stressful. And I thought, oh, okay, this is what parents go through. And and a lot of times parents don't get enough feedback. And I always tell people, if you have a parent that has oodles of questions and is asking lots of questions and is really driving you nuts, it's because the lines of communication aren't open and they are not getting what they need. And you're gonna have to put your business pants on and make a phone call and then say, and have that conversation and find out, right? We're so afraid of having conversations. So there's my there's my long-winded story about uh, about uh, parents. I they have to be part. They have to be part of the team. They have to be included. If you have a great relationship with parents and they love you and they know that you've created a safe space for their children, uh, those are that's your best marketing right there. Because parents talk to other parents and parents ask other parents, oh, your daughter does singing. Well, what does she do singing with? My daughter likes to sing. There is nothing better than great relationships with the people that you do business with. It will it will keep your studio full.
0: Yeah. And how was the rectal, by the way? <coughs>
1: <laughs> There's still a dad that I ha- I'm t- still teaching his daughter and he always... Always sends me an email. We're looking forward to the rectal, <laughs> and I'm I'm like yeah yeah I know I know spell check yes. <laughs> <Love
0: that. laughs> so you are the founder and CEO of Full Voice Music, which is your publishing company, isn't it? And you have a podcast of the same name, which is great. So um, listeners check that out as well. Um, what's your mission going forward now with Full Voice?
1: Are evil agenda has always been to create resources that make teaching easier uh, and engaging and inspiring for those teachers working with young singers Um, but we've we've branched out into a lot of workshops and training and we actually just had a beautiful workshop with dr williams um, not that long ago and and Genevieve was speaking about voice growth and change in kids and teens and it was so beautifully attended so we we work with children's composers and we uh put out wonderful song downloads and and new repertoire for uh for young singers um so we are. We want to serve. We, we serve voice teachers who are working with young singers, whether that's privately or in the classroom or chorally. Um, but we also recognize that um, we want to pay and and support our composers and our contributors properly. So we have reevaluated kind of our um, uh, our royalties, and and we we do pay living wages to. The people that work with us so we do want to one of our sub evil agendas is to really rethink the publishing industry um, and how we work with people how we collaborate with people so. We have all of our fun resources. We have our fun games. We have the full voice workbooks. We have our repertoire. We have two, we have two new repertoire books. So the songs and studies for kids, which again are play based, fun, um, exploratory little songs that, that kids love. And then we have our, our teacher training side of everything. So if you want to learn about working with children, if you're interested in welcoming children into your studio, which is always my evil agenda. Um, We have beautiful training, online courses, as well as workshops.
0: Great. And with your workbooks, you actually do some market research and give the workbooks to children to look at, don't you, before they go up on sale. So what's usually the pattern of response there? What do they
1: really like about them? So nothing that we publish will be published unless the kids love it. That's the rule. So everything gets tested. So we always say our stuff is kid and teacher tested. And teachers, it's kid tested first. So if the kids aren't like 100% picking it up and loving it and like just, if they're confused by it or if they, sometimes the kids are like, well, what if it did this? And we're like, well, let's check that out. Um, So everything that we create, has to be it's used for probably on average a couple of years with the kids and teachers and then we then we collect feedback and and we have focus groups so every single thing that we put out has the stamp of approval from students that use it and teachers that would use it as well and uh that that I, I think that's one of the reasons why we just get such a great response is because the kids, if they don't like it, we don't publish it and even little things like when we work with our composers we test the songs like i i will take the songs and and i will teach them to my students and mim mim will teach them to her students and heidi will bring them to her classroom and then we have uh teachers that we know like if we if we think oh you know kristen might really like this with the little boy that she's working with like we will expand the groups so sometimes with the the composers um I think there was one of Donna Rodenizer's songs. Uh, there was like a little melody note. It was really challenging and all the kids would would get stuck there. And so I, I sheepishly brought it to Donna. I'm like, I just want you to know that the kids kind of get stuck there. And Donna's so lovely. She's like, oh, well, what do they wanna sing? And I said, well, they kind of wanna go down to this note. She's like, okay. And like, so even, even that gets changed, even backing tracks of the backing, tr- if the kids don't, if the kids get confused by the backing tracks, or if the melody guide isn't helping them enough, we change, we, we take all of that. And then we, and then we, we fix it up and put it back out. So we're actually, um, we're just wrapping up on a jazz um, study uh, download. And we have been Gosh, we started researching it and developing it developing it in
0: 2019. Oh wow, yeah. So lots of things have gone into it.
1: Yeah. So we have, and we've shared it with uh, musicians. We've shared it with teachers. We've, we've, and we, and we, we did like a rough draft of it, and then we kind of, we kind of scrapped it. It was like this is, this is. We weren't making easy easier. So we were like, no, we gotta bring this back and try again. So it's pretty thorough. It's, it's, it's a little disheartening sometimes as the team, sometimes we're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is, it's not ready yet. We have to wait. So, so we're really excited. So look out for the, the introductory vocal jazz studies and it's a download about the different seventh chords. So okay. it's all about singing different seventh chords.
0: Amazing. And just remind us again, what how the workbooks are structured. What's in them? You've mentioned Ooh. an adventure game before. Right.
1: So the full voice workbooks, there's four of them. It starts at introductory level, goes to level three. Those are technical exercises, theory, ear training and sight singing so that takes them through exercises that help them to develop their musicianship skills and we recommend i think the youngest student i would start for those books would probably be six if they were an advanced six but usually about seven but you can start the older students um, with the introductory level if they're new to music. But um, and then it just takes them through music, reading, sight singing, ear training, all of those exercises. And then the, that's the workbooks and the workbooks are available worldwide. They're on mm-hmm. um, they're on uh, Amazon. And I do want to say um, we have UK versions of them with the proper notation for that side of the pond, as you would say. (laughs) They're they're quaver friendly. Um so um but then we have then we have our single song downloads which are our repertoire and the the music our composers we have beautiful composers we have Glenn Lehman he's from Australia and he has been writing for children for decades and his music is just beautiful like the lyrics and and he writes a lot about the earth and uh celebrating the planet and he has a beautiful song that we love on our our website called be kind Mm. which is just you know what do you want to be when you grow up well i don't know but at least I want to be kind. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful work. So Glynn is an amazing songwriter. Donna Rodenizer has been writing amazing songs forever, and her music is just delightful. And we have a new composer. His name's Ben Bowen. He is a early childhood music educator, and he writes folky, poppy, jazzy, beautiful little melodies that are just so simple and gorgeous and kids love them. And then we work with Linda Fletcher, who is she writes just beautiful. Um, her, her background is more choral for um, church music um, and sacred music. So we have amazing composers. And during the pandemic when everybody needed online and downloadable resources we started doing what are called song download packages and they are complete teaching packages so you have the score a lead sheet you have uh, backing tracks and you have teaching strategies and it's all in a downloadable uh, file you can share the music With your students, you can share and make as many copies as you need for your students of the score. So all of that is included in the licensing. So it allows teachers to build a a repertoire library for children without having to ask parents to buy collections or books. You know, I I still get my students to buy collections, but only after I know what they can do and what they're interested in. Um, So we have song download packages. Um, we have our new song books, which are songs and studies for kids. And in those, we have like solfege studies and little fun little singing games, as well as age appropriate repertoire. And those would be for your littles, so five and six and seven. Uh, and then the next book would be like seven, eight, nine, maybe depending on the student. And then on our website, full voice music, um, we have so many freebies all our fun games so we have like a food rhythm game we have the the songbird warm-up games and we theme them so we have christmas songbird warm-ups and halloween songbird warm-ups we have all sorts of tongue twister games um and just there's just a wealth of resources on there and i encourage teachers to go and download them and we always say Whatever you're doing, whatever you take from our website, the most important thing is you put it in front of the kids because the kids will tell you whether they like it or not. And, I'm, and I've never to this date had an email saying, my kids did not like this.
0: Yeah, and speaking of Christmas, it sounds like it would make a lovely Christmas stocking filler. So oh, for any teachers listening, maybe that's something to ask old Santa Claus for.
1: <laughs> I like that, that's a great idea.
0: Well, Nikki Loney, I wish I wish we had our fire and our cup of coffee and we could chat for ages because um I'm I've really enjoyed our conversation today, but thank you so much for keeping me company.
1: Oh, Alexa, thank you so much for this opportunity and I and I have to say I uh I have uh, listened to uh, a few of your podcasts. I'm going to go back. There's some wonderful interviews on your on your channel and uh, I'm going to share all of your information with my listeners. Well, thank and you. then and then maybe someday you could visit. We could That's have nothing. that coffee by the fire and you can tell me about the escape rooms.
0: <laughs> I'll get my passport. I'm on my way.
1: <laughs> I love it. I
0: love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.